welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. Good morning, everybody. I've got lots to say in a short space of time. Yes, sir. We're going to have communion later on, so I shall do my best. Uh, And I I already had a lot to say, and then I felt God speak to me even more. So, ah, let me do my best. I love that song, Good, Good Father. Uh, I think it really sums up the message that we are. are, uh, I think... What I felt God was saying is, what is the message of the church? And that is somewhat my message this morning. What is our message? Is it repentance? Well, yes, it is. But first of all, I believe it is that there is a good, good Father. There is a very good, good God. And I want to look at that through Jonah this morning. Uh, Normally I'm here and tell a few jokes and things like that, but... I won't do that today. I should, <laughs> at least I won't intentionally tell any jokes. Um, you always laugh at me, but anyway. Uh, but I want to talk about sin. Sin is uh, a very important thing in the Christian um, theology. We are not to put a sticking plaster over sin. That is a lie. We are here to put, uh, we are here to change. Leslie was talking to me uh, this morning about a table that she had years ago and how she stripped it back and, and made it uh, looking beautiful, a really wonderful, healthy glow using sandpaper and various things. God is here to bring some sandpaper to our lives this morning. So please don't shoot the messenger. I hope it will release you. I hope it will demolish those walls that Peter was talking about. So let me just start. Also, Chris, that was a wonderful word you brought this morning. Fantastic. Really loved that. So I am going to talk about uh, three things. One is I'm going to talk about Jonah. Then I'm going to talk about cricket, and then I'm going to talk about Corrie ten Boom. So you can see I have got a lot to go through. Uh, but the, the principle of what I want to say is that there is, uh, we often have that sense of what Peter and I discussed on, on Thursday, schadenfreude. It's a sense of revenge that we want to see at people's demise. It's, it's a German word, but I think it sums things up. And if you feel that sense of, oh, I've seen somebody fall, ha, 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 and take pleasure in it, I think we all, I certainly put my hand up for that. But that is where we need to repent, we need to start forgiving, and we need to deal with that because it is a barrier in our lives. I also want to talk about the presence of God because as, as a church we know that one of our most important things 
about our church identity is the presence of God. But what I want to say is that the presence of God is not just for Sunday morning. It is to take that out, not just to say, I'm going to preach the word. It's to be Christ-like wherever we are. That is what the presence of God is where we are. And we don't always have to say it. Be different. And some of the, the cricket story I will show you and tell you is showing you how different the world deals with things to the way that we should be dealing with things. Um, so I'm going to talk about uh, Jonah. So let me give you, I always like to give you a context of these things. So Jonah was a prophet. Uh, he lived at the time of, if you know your Bible, 2 Kings 14, that sort of time. The king at that time was a man called Jeroboam II. Uh, and like many of the kings of, in fact, all of the kings of Israel at that time, they were bad. God says he was a bad king. So the prophets were always trying to bring some correction to the king and to the people of God. Uh, we also have to understand that uh, God had asked Jonah to speak to the Assyrian people. Uh, and when he starts to speak, and I will re we'll read the first uh, four verses, when he's asked to speak, Jonah is about 500 miles away from Nineveh. He's not standing on the border. He's a long way away. Uh, but God is wanting him to speak his word. Assyria was a very powerful nation. They were very violent. I mean, they were so violent, they used to de decapitate people, skin them alive. They did awful things. I mean, I think if you want to put some sort of context on it, you won't go far away from what ISIS have done. And the irony, I would say, is that Nineveh is in Iraq, in Mosul, in that same area. Maybe there's some kind of shadow left there. So we're, and, and the Assyrians were people who really did uh, these violent acts against the people of God, against Israel and Judah as well. So that is, that is why there is such uh, animosity and hatred in Jonah's heart. Okay, can we just uh, put the, the first scripture up? I shall read this to you. This is the beginning of Jonah. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the seas, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Uh, I'm just going to start from that point. In this society that we live in now, how often do people hold 
hatred against each other. They are hurt, but they hold that hatred for others. And if you are for them, then you are fine. But if you say a slightest word against them, then they, then they regard you as being hateful. So we see a lot of the hate crime. Is, it's very minor, but it's actually because people are hurting. We as a church should be, be ones who come not preaching judgment, but with preaching forgiveness and God's mercy, because mercy is such a wonderful thing. You see, what the thing was that uh, Jonah wanted, he wanted justice. He wanted judgment to come on the Assyrian people because he knew what they had done to him and his people, that they were beyond the pale, they were violent, and, they, and uh, he felt that God should judge these people and bring that down on them. But we'll see what happens at the end. Uh, as we know, Jonah ran away to get away from confronting uh, the Assyrians. Not because he was afraid, but because he didn't want God to do what he knew he would do. And we'll pick that up later. I want to talk to you about a cricket story. Now, how many people uh, follow uh, cricket? Particular, I know Tom does. Uh, particularly the Australian crickets and the Australians playing the South Africans. Okay, so I'm, as I expected, talking to uh, people who have absolutely no idea about the characters I'm going to talk about. So, let me start. In Australia, there, about uh, 11 years ago, there was a very attractive, extremely gifted uh, sporting uh, woman called Candice. And uh, she mixed with the sort of celebrities, sports celebrities, uh, and she went to a party in Australia and she met up with another famous sportsman, a a rugby player, a New Zealand rugby all-black, called Sonny Bill Williams. Any of you heard of Sonny Bill Williams? Just the two of us, three of us. Okay, okay, four of us. Okay. So, Candice and Sunny Bill, they get drunk. They have, uh, they just lust after each other, and not to put too fine a point on it, they go into the gents' toilets, into a cubicle, and have sex. This, okay, they were young, free, and single. You would think that was not affecting anybody. But this kind of uh, act got out and it became gossip. We can leave it like that for the moment. Uh, Candice has a number of relationships with other famous people until she meets uh, an an Australian cricketer uh, called um, uh, David Warner. David Warner is a very good batsman. He is one of the greatest batsmen the Australians have produced. And he is 
a bit of a thug. And in fact, he used to be called the Beast. Uh, But they fell in love, and they got married, and they had children. And uh, he, uh, how many of you people know uh, Joe Root, the England cricket captain? It's still somewhat lukewarm, your knowledge of cricket. Oh, Lord, help me with this people. It is your godly game, I know. So, he was in a bar. So, uh, David Warner was in a bar with Joe Root and he punched him. That punched Joe Root, that is. And uh, he actually got fined and he got banned and he got told to behave himself. Otherwise, he would lose his place and he certainly wouldn't be captain of... Uh, Australia cricket team and he's a very patriotic man Um, he then turns over a new leaf and he tries very hard to be a a better person so much so that the the dressing room started to call him the reverend because they thought he was you know he he had gone so different he had not become a Christian okay he'd just done this out of his own strength. Now, uh, let me bring another character in here, a guy called uh, Steve Smith. Now, Steve Smith is an even better batsman uh, than David Warner. And Steve Smith is the captain of the Australian cricket team. And David Warner is the vice-captain. And um, uh, they absolutely thrashed us in the winter at cricket. We, were, we lost 4-0 out of five test matches. And uh, Steve Smith, he has the highest batting average uh, unless there's one person, which is Don Bradman, who was from the 40s. So we're talking about someone really very good. Anyway, this is just background so that... So that I, at least you can talk about cricket now for the rest of your lives with some sort of degree of knowledge, limited as it is. Anyway, uh, the, after the, the Australians had thrashed us, they go on tour to uh, South Africa. And the South Africans are also a very good side. And in the first test match, um, Australia were doing well. And I don't know how much... Well, you clearly know nothing about cricket. But anyway... <laughs> When the batsman is, is at the crease, got the stumps there, very often in these sort of international matches, the wicketkeeper will speak to them to try and wind them up, to try and bring them down, to try and break their concentration. And the, uh, the South African um, wicketkeeper is a guy called Quinton de Kock. I can't say it in a South African way, but it's close. Thank you. I'm looking to the South African corner over there. Anyway, de Kock was, was started to say things to David Warner about his wife Candice. And he winds him up. And although uh, Warner doesn't get out, he gets so wound up. At the end of the day's play, Warner gets him into uh, the stairwell and starts a fight. And starts to punch the living daylights out of de Kock. And de Kock isn't a, a, a man to lie down and take it. So there's a big fight. They both, well, uh, Warner gets fined and de Kock gets a sort of slap on the wrist. 
The next day in the test match, people start turning up because they've heard of what he, what uh, de Kock was saying. They turn up with face masks of Sonny Bill Williams. And this, you can imagine, winds him up. This, I see, is something very much like the demonic and how it affects our lives. We have that little whisper, that little whisper of what we've done. And when we haven't forgiven people or things that are annoying us, we get that face in our, in our imagination to remind us of the things that we have done wrong. This is a demonic attack. So when you see that, recognize it in future. That little voice whispering. Because de Koch was not saying, you know, your wife, da-da-da-da-da. He was whispering it very subtly. Because there are, there are microphones everywhere in cricket. There are cameras everywhere, which we will hear about in a minute. Those would be picked up, but he was very subtle. He didn't want, to be, he didn't want it to be heard on the microphones, but he wanted Warner to hear it. So, Warner gets, he gets uh, told off. Uh, then there's a, a, another match. So Australia win, but then they, they lose the next one. And in the third test match, they are, um, the, the Australians are really doing badly against the, uh, the South Africans. And what has happened is a whole section of the crowd have turned up with Sonny Bill masks to taunt Warner. Can you imagine that? They even tried not to allow these masks in. But people, of course, you can put it in your pocket. They came along and they would put these masks on to wind Warner up. And because they were, they were losing, Warner decides to get uh, the Captain Smith and another guy called Cameron Bancroft, who's a batsman, and they would cheat. So when you read this story, it's all about the Australians cheating. To me, it's about revenge. It's about unforgiveness. And that is the difference between the world and the church and how we see it. So uh, at lunchtime, uh, Smith says to this guy Bancroft, who's a young player, what I want you to do is get a piece of sandpaper, put it in your pocket, and when the ball comes to you, rub the ball down so that it scuffs it up and it means that the ball swings in the air and it's, we might be able to get them out. So, Smith is just part of, he's just overseeing this as well. Anyway, they go there, the, the ball goes out to Bancroft, he picks it up, he gets out the piece of sandpaper and starts scratching the ball, throws it back. And as, as I say, there are cameras everywhere in sports uh, matches. And it's picked up. And at the end of the day's play, the umpires come to him and they say, you've been cheating. We've seen it. You were tampering with the, with the ball. So Smith, the captain, and Bancroft go to a um, news conference and they say, oh, yeah, we're really sorry, we did it. But it was only a sticking plaster. And we were taking the glue off that and putting that onto the ball. <clears throat> and they were like, well, you know, the, the thing is, 
we did it, but it didn't actually work. So their justification is, it didn't actually work. It did nothing. They're not repentant. It says in Corinthians that there are two different types of repentance. One is where you regret that you have done something wrong. And one is where you actually want to repent and come to God. And the two are very different. One, it says, brings sorrow, worldly sorrow. The other brings a godly release and freedom. So, uh, they, uh, the, uh, the Australian cricket team ban uh, Smith and Warner and Bancroft for one match. There is such an outcry that the Prime Minister of Australia says, this isn't right. This is our nation and you have, you have brought our nation down. You must be punished more. So they go to the Australian cricket team and they say, you've got to ban these guys for a year. These guys are wealthy men. They've got contracts. They, I think Warner lost a contract of $1.3 million. It's a lot of money. They lost their livelihood. Not because, well, partly because they cheated, but because they also lied. And they did it publicly. So then, uh, we then have this video of the news conference of Smith. Once he's been found to have lied, this is his reaction. Other things is any time you think about making a, a questionable decision, think about who you're affecting. You're affecting your parents and to see the way my old man's been. <laughs> and <laughs> Thanks, everybody. And Thank my you. mum, it's, it hurts. And, uh, and I can't remember what else. But it's, yeah, uh, I just want to say I'm sorry and for the pain that I've, I guess, brought to Australia and, and the fans and the public. It's, it's devastating and I'm truly sorry. That, I think, is, is real repentance. And the, the bit I wanted you to see was how it affected his parents. How does sin affect us? Uh, God is not angry with us. He is disappointed and grieves when we sin. And that is what I want to convey to you. Not that when you come to God that you are coming to an angry God. You are coming to a God who wants to forgive you, who loves you. The consequences of sin. So we have, we start off with Candice and, and uh, Sonny Bill. That then spirals into revenge with, with uh, Warner. Warner, and, he, Warner doesn't go to any of these news conferences. He goes back with his wife to see her first because he knows that this is not a question of cheating. It's a question of revenge. And he's now blown this up to an international incident now. People around the world know this. She is so stressed that she was pregnant and she loses her baby. So sin is not just something for a sticking plaster. It is something where we need 
to deal with it. Deal with it ruthlessly because otherwise it will affect the rest of our lives, every area of our lives. Just go, sorry, let's just go to the, the uh, second Jonah. So, we know the story. Uh, Jonah runs away. He, he gets swallowed by the fish because he's trying to go as far away from, from uh, Nineveh as possible. He gets swallowed by the fish. He prays inside the fish. God says to the fish, vomit him up onto the, um, onto the beach. And then he decides he's going to be obedient. So he then goes and he preaches to Nineveh. And he says, if you don't repent, God will bring judgment on you. And then we pick up the, this part here. It says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways. This is the Ninevites, the Assyrians. They'd, they'd repented and turned away from it. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Now let's just hold it there for the moment. How many of you feel like that at times? Maybe not to the extent of I just, just kill me, Lord. That's quite extreme. Although there may be times when people have felt that way. What I would just say in a prophetic way as well is that fathers, be like our heavenly, say, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and eager to bring back people from being destroyed. Men and women, that I think is our call. That is how we are to bring the presence of God so that we are not fast to anger but slow to anger and it needs forgiveness. Okay, the next part. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it was withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like 
this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did, not, you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in the spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's the end of the book of Jonah. It ends on a question. It ends on the heart of God. Could you put that scripture, keep it up? Just Thank you. hundred and twenty thousand people we could put that to smaller context but that's a lot of people that is what God wants us to do he wants us not to be bitter because I, I, I I've always wondered about this this part of this story that you know, why what is the whole thing about this plant growing up and then it dying what, what what's that telling me what is it trying to convey to me? And I, when I was preparing this, it, it became rather obvious. It was that this is what God is saying. When the plant grows up, it is the grace of God. It is him showing mercy. But what does Jonah want? He wants justice. He wants destruction. And that's where he gets. If you are looking for justice in your life, be careful. Justice in one sense is right. We want things to be done properly. We want to see criminals uh, punished for the things they do. But be careful when you come to how you react to other people, how you think they should, as I said, that schadenfreude, you know, oh, <laughs> oh, terribly sorry that that happened to you. But really inside you're happy that somebody has fallen. That is not right. We need to repent of that and we need to come for forgiveness. Um, I'll just finish on this last thing, which is how we apply it. How do we deal with this? How many of you know the story of Corey Tamboon? A bit more than know about cricket anyway. Praise the Lord for that. So, uh, for those who, who don't know, uh, Corrie Ten Boom is a, a, a Christian who lived during the war. She was a young, young woman. Uh, she and her sister helped um, people to escape the Gestapo in, in uh, the Netherlands. And one day she and her sister were caught in about 1944, and they were sent off to Ravensbrück in Germany as a concentration camp. Uh, Cory Ten Boom's sister died there uh, as a result of the uh, inhumane conditions, but she survived. She then went on, because she spoke German, she went on in the 40s and 50s to preach about forgiveness of sin to the German people. And one day she has a, uh, a guy who she's speaking and she's, she sees this guy who was a guard in Ravensbrook and he and she thinks, what am I going to do? 
this man comes up and says, you won't know me, although she did. He says, you won't know me, uh, but I was a, a senior Gestapo guard in Ravensbrück, and I have become a Christian, and I would like you to forgive me for the things that I did and I might have done to you. And she says, at that point, her heart is cold and hard. She, he puts out his hand to her, and she knows that she has got to make a choice. You see, forgiveness is not about how you feel on the day. It is a choice. Your heart, like Corrie ten Boom, might be hard and cold because you know you've got to forgive someone, but you, and so you try to go away from doing that. Corrie ten Boom, realizing that this is God, you know, putting in her face that she would be a hypocrite because she's preaching a message of forgiveness. That if she doesn't extend her hand and take his and forgive this man genuinely and make a start, then she would be, she would be compromised. So in that kind of nanosecond of, ah, she feels her, her heart, although it is cold, towards this man, she, she says, yes, I forgive you. She had no feeling. But afterwards, she felt the joy of knowing the forgiveness of God and healing that came on. Now, that is a wonderful story. But if you, I will put this on the, on the website when by my notes, uh, I won't read it now. But the application for this that she talks about is something later. And actually probably more relevant to us because none of us have been in a concentration camp. But she says there are people uh, that she knew in church who hurt her. And she found it very difficult to forgive them. And she goes to a, a, a pastor and says, look, I'm, I, these friends of mine, I, count, I was very close with these people, but they, they've stabbed me in the back. They've hurt me, and I'm trying to forgive. And it's hard work. I can't seem to break through it. And uh, the pastor says to her, okay, what you're doing is right. You forgive them. He said, but it's like this. You know, if you're ringing a bell in a in a Anglican bell tower, you get the bells and and they swing backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, and you keep pulling it and you keep ringing the bell, but when you stop, it still hits the bell. It still hits, but it becomes less and less and less and less until it becomes silent. And he said, if you stop pulling on that rope, if you stop enjoying and indulging in the desire to see those people hurt, the thoughts of what you could say to them, all those sort of things, the bell will start to stop ringing. But it may take several times to deal with. And I have found forgiveness to be like that. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes, click, you, you pray, you forgive, it's finished with. 
Other times, you've got to visit it again and again. But if you start to, to enjoy that or that thought of what I'm going to do to them, you will, all you are doing is putting power back onto the pulling of that rope. You are ringing that bell again, ringing that bell again, and you will not be dealing with it. Does that make sense? Does that picture, I hope, make sense to you? So I, I would encourage you, deal with unforgiveness. How do you know that somebody you have de- had to forgive, that it's, it's dealt with, your heart is clean? We had a, 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 somebody we met recently who I, I had to forgive some time ago. And I was like, okay, let's see. Because I knew I was going to see them again. I, I wondered what it was going to be like. And I felt my heart was clean. Now, I'm not standing here being self-righteous, believe me. Because when I was preparing this, there were other people, God reminded me, that I am not clean about. And I am dealing with the, the bell principle. It's still there, but I'm having to deal with it. But I saw this person. It was, it was good. We had a great time together. And actually, God said to me afterwards, that will release you and your family from part uh, of things that have not been good for you. And sure enough, the next day, a door opened, I believe, in our family for things to be improved. So it is not just a little bit of uh, uh, having to deal with this. It is something very powerful and important that we should grasp hold of. So, I'm going I'm to conclude there, but I want you to pray. So if we just, Steve, band, would you like to come up? Could you play Good, Good Father? And we're going to do communion in, in a minute as well. So what I'm going to pray is, how do you deal with this? As I said, it is a choice. You don't wait until you feel right to do it. Your heart may be feeling cold and hard, but you have got to make that choice. So when you pray, I would suggest that you tell God how you feel, how it has made you feel, how what that person or that circ- those circumstances how they have made you feel. Then you need to release them. So let me just pray. Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here, Lord. We all need to know your forgiveness, Lord. I pray that you will help us to find mercy in our hearts and not justice. Father, I pray that you will bring people to, to mind for each one of us where we need to forgive. If you have that, if you have somebody who you know God is speaking to you to forgive, 
as I said, you need to tell God how it's made you feel. Release them from it and, and praise God for it. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are a good, good God. We thank you that you are a God who is abounding in mercy, full of compassion. And I pray that we will be a people who are full of forgiveness, quick to forgive, that we do not have and hold debts against people because you have paid for it all on the cross. Let me just say one other thing. If you are waiting for God to do something to help you forgive, he's already done it on the cross. He's already said, forgive people. And if you, if you feel that you are in prison in your emotions, ask God, help me. Because there may well be somebody there you need to forgive. This is not an easy message. This is not a sticking plaster. This is sandpaper. Because Christ wants you to be Christ-like, not like the world. Deal with it. It's a matter of urgency. We want to take the presence of God out there with us. He will fill us with a new joy when you forgive. Father.